Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at The Midnight Sky, the new George Clooney-directed feature, also starring, of course, uh, George Clooney, about a lone, beleaguered man who is trying to keep a bunch of astronauts from coming back to Earth. It's a strange movie, but I'm excited to talk about it. We're also going to look at Happiest Season, a uh, delightfully queer uh, rom-com. It's a holiday <laughs> feature. That's what I've decided to, to title it because I'm I'm super hetero and not great at naming things that are LGBTQ. Uh, but it's a great movie. Uh, we're going to talk about some new trailers, things that are coming out. First things first, though, we need to get to the news. And Andy's done a little bit more reading about this than I have. So I'm hoping he'll be able to weigh in. Uh, Disney Plus reveals new Marvel Star Wars originals and a price hike. Uh, when did this get announced, Andy? And what is this about exactly? So this was last Thursday. Uh, Disney had their earnings call uh, where they talk about everything that, that uh, what they're going to be doing in the future. And they had a huge, huge number of announcements. We'll try to summarize as best we can. But they had announcements, announcements about Disney Plus, about Star Wars, about Marvel, about a lot of things uh, entertainment-wise. So some of the big takeaways is that they're going to be heavily investing in Disney+. Plus. They're coming out with 10 new shows for Disney+, Plus for uh, Star Wars shows, and also 10 Marvel shows for Disney+, Plus, as well as a number of their films just going straight to the platform that were originally going to go to theaters. Um, They're also increasing the model. What we didn't hear a lot of is actually what's happening with Marvel film-wise, because they had a lot of uh, Marvel... Um, not season four, phase four, uh, was supposed to be underway this year, but didn't happen because of the the pandemic. And so we're, we haven't heard too much about that, a lot of that, but they are heavily, heavily investing in Disney+. Plus. They also revealed they have 86 million uh, subscribers, which is huge for a service that's only been around uh, for a year. Uh, so Zach, any thoughts on this? Man, uh, where to begin, right? It was quite the investor's event. I'm not really familiar with Disney's, like, investor event but like not only was this heavily publicized they had like a running twitter thread on at disney where like they explained everything that's coming out with teaser images trailers if they had them um and that's what i was following all day so that's primarily where the bulk of my news comes from uh 240 character tweets uh this is a very long punch up and i would say anybody who's interested in finding out more about what disney's announcing needs to go look this up because there is a ton of content here certainly not enough for us to cover in just this episode uh, especially just this new segment but for the things that are most exciting i think is probably starting with like star wars right 10 star wars series um what's interesting is a lot of these seem to be what was going to be the 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 star wars stories right in theaters like rogue one a star wars story or solo a star wars story now they've taken those properties and adapted them into series instead long form at least 10 episode to start series we assume um, some of these are particularly exciting, looking at characters like Ahsoka Tano from the Clone Wars series, uh, looking at Obi-Wan, uh, Rogue One is getting kind of a spinoff of its own, uh, Cassian Andor is getting a series starring Diego Luna. I, there, there's a lot, man, and that's just Star Wars. That's not getting into all their other properties. That's not getting into their films. That's not getting into their classics. ESPN, Hulu had some relevant announcements in here, like Pixar, National Geographic had stuff. Any hot takes on the Star Wars things? Yeah, well, while this is mostly TV-related or streaming-related, it 
it says a lot about film by not saying a lot about film. Like they did not uh, announce any other Star Wars films outside of whatever uh, Taika Waititi, who was supposed to do a new film in 2022 or 2023, um, which shows just kind of a dramatic shift away from trying to, I think, build a cinematic universe and instead just build a streaming universe and, you know, kind of give fans everything they want through their streaming service as opposed to film. And I think that's actually a much better model for properties as big as, uh, Star Wars and Marvel and it w- it would be nice to see that when Star Wars when the films come out they're fewer they're better and maybe they cap off a series something like that yeah something that was particularly exciting to me was seeing at the end they announced Patty Jenkins director of Wonder Woman uh, and Wonder Woman 1984 will be directing a new Star Wars feature uh, called Star Wars Rogue Squadron um, I don't know a lot about Rogue Squadron uh, but I know I played the GameCube video games and those were pretty cool um, that'll be a theatrical feature um, and that's interesting because, because you know, whether or not Disney is going to be pushing theatrical features this next year is a question, especially after Warner Brothers' recent announcement about pushing their slate of 17 films all to HBO Max. We'll talk about that more in our next news story, actually, so keep an ear out for that. But I was also really intrigued to see what they're doing with Marvel, and Marvel follows the same formula, right, as Star Wars and The Mandalorian. Ten series, <laughs> ten streaming streaming shows across all of their properties. It's really interesting. It's really interesting because Marvel's done such a great job of building a cinematic film universe. Now, they're going to try to continue that, but outside of the theaters, outside of the cinemas, and on streaming services, across episodes, across multiple shows. Remember, they've kind of done this with Netflix before, and it didn't work great. There's supposed to be a little bit of, you know, something going on over there with Daredevil and The Punisher and and and... It didn't quite get where they wanted to, and now it seems like they're doing this again, but taking a more cinematic approach with their cinematic properties just at home. So that's interesting. Yeah, they're really blurring the lines uh, between uh, what is film and what is TV, and it's it's great to see their A-list properties uh, being used and, and they're they're spacing them out really well. So in January, the the Wandavision series starts. Two months later, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Two months later, the Loki series. So they're covering. All of your entertainment uh, timeline. Uh, like I said, though, they really have been pretty hush about uh, the Marvel films, such as uh, Black Widow, which was supposed to come out in May, uh, which I can't imagine that that'll happen. And then The Eternals, which, you know, has been pushed quite a, quite a bit as well. So it's phase four is definitely on hold. Mm hmm. Um, I am definitely interested to see what happens with Black Widow. I feel like that movie is going to be pushed back forever. And it, it, I mean, I don't want to say it's prime for like their $30, what, what are they called? Premium, like early, early access, early access service where you pay $30 on top of the subscription fee so you can watch it at home, just like they did with Mulan, just like they've been doing with uh, Raya and the Last Dragon or Raya. I don't really know yet, but what, what I am interested in what is what Disney's doing in film, right? This is a movie podcast. We're not just about streaming services. Uh, what are they doing? And some of the more interesting announcements are that they're pushing some of their live action movies that probably were going to go to stream to, to big screen to the streaming service. Not all of them and not all of them are going to cost this extra $30 fee, but I was interested to see Cruella, which is supposed to be coming to theaters in May, uh, is now going to streaming. Pinocchio, the live action remake starring Tom Hanks and directed by, uh, Robert Zemeckis, director of. Forest Polar Gump. Express, yeah, and Welcome to Marwen, and also Back to the Future and, and <laughs> Castaway and Forrest Gump, but you know that was 
That was a Robert. That was Robert Zemeckis. That was last last millennium, dude. Dude, uh, Robert Zemeckis makes me sad. Uh, the Peter Pan reboot, Disenchanted, which is a sequel to Enchanted, starring Amy Adams. Sister Act three. All of those are going to be coming to Disney Plus. All of those are presumed to be coming at no additional premium, but. They're definitely still doing the premiere access thing, right? And The Last Dragon is getting a $30 fee if you want to watch it at home. So they're not they're not against that either. It's 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 some interesting news in the wake of the Warner Brothers announcement. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there this is kind of a page out of the Warner Brothers book. They're going to release they do a hybrid release of Ray and the Last Dragon but with the additional $30 uh, early access fee, but you see what they're doing. They're pushing a lot of these films that probably would have been, you know, they were smaller budget. They probably would have done okay. But uh, that's the beauty of streaming is that, you know, you don't have to worry about a box office bomb. You can just push it to your streaming service and say, and, you know, it's adding value to to what people are already paying for. And a lot of this has to do with the, the pandemic and just trying to figure out how to still survive uh, when theaters are effectively closed. Yeah. And that's like, something that's really intriguing about this, right? Not necessarily just Disney's response to Warner Brothers' announcement that all of their their movies are going to HBO Max at no additional cost, but how Disney is pivoting, right? They're clearly, like, approaching these properties not with this idea that, oh, we'll put out one or two movies a year that are Star Wars movies or one or two, movie, two, one or two Marvel movies a year. Instead, you can have, I don't know, 10 series all running at the same time alongside each other. Why not? And the ones that don't work, great. You'll kill them after a season, maybe two seasons. The ones that do work, you'll run with them and you'll continue building. It's a really interesting content pivot because suddenly we're Mm. not just talking about blockbuster features. We're talking about mid-budget features, right? We're talking about things that are smaller and more intimate, but definitely have much more room to grow outside of a cinema where you've got 16 screens and by God, you got to get your film on them. Like now there's many, there's, there's just a lot more room for growth, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, people have long uh, kind of contemplated is like, when will the kind of comic book juggernaut a film end? And I'm not saying we're, we're at the end of it, but it seems like possibly the serialized film might be coming to, to a close. Marvel, it's the only people to have have done that to have 22 films all interconnected and culminating in a successful end. There have been more failed cinematic universes than (laughs) successful ones. Uh, Star Wars didn't manage to do it. The horror universe, dark universe, uh, the DCEU has has struggled. Um, So the serialization of, of film, which worked 10 years ago when you didn't, when streaming was just getting started, is kind of coming to an end. It's a lot harder to do. It's a lot harder to be successful. And it's actually easier to give customers what they want through streaming through these big properties. You can explore the universe so much more with so many characters. Um, and so film might kind of return to being just about the two hour story told over, you know, one or two movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think, I think a lot of a big, Big Hollywood people are scared of that, right? Especially old Hollywood people. The cinema's dying. Well, not really. It's just changing, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think there's a lot of potential for new stories, new ideas, new creatives, new actors and actresses, new directors, like new growth in this. Um, Competition is good. Shaking up the industry, I think that's a good thing. Um, We'll have to see. I mean, Disney certainly thinks so. It's part of the reason they're hiking the price, which is a big problem for some folks. They're adding $1 to the price of Disney Plus in the new year. It's going to jump from $8 to $9. Watch out. Um, 
that's 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 gonna make it tough but i mean ultimately that's not that's that's not a bad fee especially the annual plans jumping up to 10 bucks in, instead so the annual plan is gonna be 80 dollars a year instead of what was 70 uh, 70 yeah so okay great 80 dollars for disney plus for you like that's not a, that's that's not that's not too shabby in my humble opinion but disney is going to stand to make a mint off of it because they have what 86 million subscribers right now or yep. something it's nuts, dude. Disney Plus has grown like nobody's business. To put that into perspective, uh, Netflix has about 200 million subscribers, um, but they've been around for 13 years. Disney Plus has been around for one. And then if you look at HBO Max, HBO Max is kind of dismal with only about eight and a half million. Um, I read another article today that said, you know, as many as 25 million people had HBO Max available to them for free for a year and did not sign up. Oh, so that, I didn't know that's, that. That's brutal. Yeah, and that's, I mean, part of that is the confusion because, well, if you have this service and you can get HBO Max, but if, you know, it was just a very confusing rollout and, and all, it just didn't offer enough. And now Disney is exploding their, their streaming offering. HBO's launch of HBO Max is like, I hope there's a good punch up of that in, in like sometime next year. I hope some reporter really goes in and digs and like, what the hell happened? How do you, how do you bungle that so bad? Like so confusing. You still can't get it on Roku devices. It's stunning. Like the biggest install base for streaming service offerings does not offer HBO Max. If you're on a Roku device, you can't get it. It's, 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 it's really something else, but they're doing their thing with the Warner Brothers movies. They're going to have a slate of 17 films coming to their service next year that I think will bolster their numbers significantly. I, I think I think HBO Max is a, a premium service by God, and I'm happy to pay for it. Disney Plus might be the same thing. Uh, they, they also announced they're going to be, I mean, just in extemporaneous announcements, they're going to add, offer a new uh, ad-free version of Hulu Plus packaged with their ESPN Plus and their Disney Plus for like 19 bucks a month, which currently is cheaper than Hulu Plus and Disney Plus by itself. So you get a discount and you get ESPN for nothing. It's like, man, I'm dude, I'm all in on this. Like the house and mouse has my has my dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're they're offering so much new content, which was really the struggle when they first came out is everyone said, well, there's nothing on Disney Plus. The Mandalorian was single handedly holding it uh, together and it did it long enough for people to stay interested in that series. And it also proved that uh People love, love a Star Wars series, and so they they're gonna heavily invest in uh, in that. But they they have so much content, uh, and they're still gonna pursue their movies. Uh, the CEO, uh, Bill Chappick, Bob Chappick, uh, said, you know, Disney had a thirteen billion dollar uh, year in twenty nineteen at the theater. Like, I guess nothing to to scoff at. So they're definitely still gonna be in the movie business. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens. I'm a big Disney fan, probably more than I should be. So keep it here on Offscript for more from Disney. And before we move on to our next story, before our first review, uh, and you've been watching The Mandalorian, right? Season two. I have indeed. Yeah. I, I know this isn't a this isn't a streaming review show, but I have not watched a single episode of season two. I think I'm just <laughs> waiting to binge it all. I don't really know, but uh, it's coming up on the end, right? Yeah, two more episodes left. Well, I will I will say. Uh, there are some plot lines that, that we've seen in the second season that were things that were going to be um, uh, Disney spinoff films uh, from the, you know, a Star Wars story. And they even instead converted them to uh, the, the TV show yeah. successfully, I, might, I, I think, as well. Hmm. Well, uh, I'm curious. Two episodes ago, ringing endorsement from Andy Draper, Mandalorian season two. Yeah, I uh, it started off a little rough, but it it it's, uh, got got a lot better as it right. goes along. 
I'll check it out then. All right, our next story. Uh, AMC warns it'll run out of cash in January and calls out Warner Brothers shift to HBO Max. Oh no, the big studio, the big the big movie theaters crying because they're not <laughs> getting their movies. Andy, what do you think about this? As I've been saying all week, nothing to do with all your screens. Yeah. Uh, the theaters have zero leverage in this uh, cl- current climate with them essentially being closed. Uh before the pandemic, theaters ha- had a lot, lot of leverage because you can't make a billion dollars, you can't make eight hundred million dollars without them. You need the global box office to hit these big numbers, but that's really not an option now, and it's probably not going to be an option for most of of twenty twenty one. And so that's why uh, I read I read an article about the the Warner situation, and they you know they had scientists and economists, they hired them to to like tell like tell us what is going to happen in the future, and all the ep- epidemiologists said like. No, no one's going to be in a theater until fall 2021 at the earliest. And uh, so they decided to to go completely online. And AMC is obviously upset about, about this. And they're uh, saying that they're g- going to essentially be bankrupt by mid-January. So I used, I've said this on the show before. I used to work for AMC, right? I, that was my first job in high school. I worked at AMC for three and a half years. And I loved a lot about working at the movies. But I don't think any of that was partial I don't think I don't think I love that job because it was an AMC theater. I love that job because I was working at the movies. And and that's the important thing to remember when you think about these movie theaters, right? You don't go to the movie theaters because of like the unique experience. You might if you're going to a drive-in or you're going to Alamo Draft House or you're going to like a historic theater like the Texas Theater, like AMC and Cinemark and Regal, they're all kind of the same. And these are the guys that have been standing on the necks of studios for years. For years, studios have been trying to get out from around them and say, hey, look, we want to be able to create our own content. We want to be able to put this where we can. And they've always said, no, you can't. You have to pay us a cut because they haven't had a way to do it. And now they don't. Like Andy said, nothing to do with all your screens. On the one hand, I feel kind of bad. On the other hand, man, I love a good underdog story. I like rooting for David instead of Goliath. And the way I see it, if this is what it's going to take to shake up the industry, then by God, AMC must burn. I don't think that's a bad thing, in my humble opinion. I worked there. I had my time. It was great. But movie theaters will always be around, all right? And if AMC spent billions of dollars leasing out corporate real estate so they could open up theaters that ultimately aren't doing that well, well, that's a tough shake, all right? Welcome to capitalism. What do you think? Well, like I said, I, I think like they don't have any they don't have any leverage. They are going to go bankrupt, and someone else is going to buy them. Some other company like there's always there's were, there were rumors that Amazon was going to step in. Uh, so I think we're going to see something happen, and that's the big thing. Even with these new hybrid releases, even though a lot of things are going to streaming, people still love the theatrical experience. What what this does is it it shakes things up, and in in a lot of ways it raises the bar. Because we'll talk about this a little bit later, but no one wants to to go to pay the money it takes to go to the theater and see a mediocre film. Now, if you want people coming to the theater, you know you, you really got to get their attention. You really have to bring bring your A game. Um, and this also m- might be you know a new life for mid budget films because you know for for a while films have either been twenty million dollars or two hundred million, and we've not had that that middle ground. But now really expensive films might be difficult to actually profit a- of if they're mostly going to go go to streaming. So overall, it's I think it's great for film. It's tough luck for the <laughs> for the the theaters, but it, it's going to work out. Someone's going to swoop in here. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, the, theaters are still a fantastic way to make money. Like you said in the last story, Disney CEO Bob Chapek said that last year Disney made $13 billion in profit. Are they moving some properties to streaming? Totally. Are they moving all of them? Absolutely not. Disney still stands to make money. Warner Brothers still stands to make money. All of these studios will make money if their theaters, if their movies go to theaters. But it's not the only way to do it anymore. And that's what's so scary for these for what is essentially an industry bottleneck that's been able to, to hold these studios feet to the fire for, for generations now. I don't see this as a bad thing. It's like you said, uh, people are still going to want to go to the theaters. People are still going to make money, like making movies. That's not going to go away. But I think there's so much more opportunity for mid budget films, which is something we just don't see a lot anymore at the theaters. Nowadays, Hollywood accountants say every movie has to make every dollar back and more, right? It's why we get so many blockbuster features, big budgets, right? Hundreds of millions of dollars and not, the best ideas don't always come out of that, right? Sometimes the best films you see are the sincere ones. That's why you see smaller films win at the Oscars, not Avengers Endgame, which did, I think, win a couple of Oscars or something. Black yeah. Panther. Vi visual know. effects or something. The point is, yeah, like you don't you don't need a huge budget to tell an intimate story. But in an economy where theaters are running th running the show and they demand every dollar possible, you do. So this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think theaters will be around. I think this is, if anything, shaking up the industry, offering opportunity for innovation. I feel like I'm starting to talk in circles. <laughs> Andy, any other thoughts on this before we go to the next uh, yeah, I mean, review, th I guess? This is really what customers want and have wanted. They people want. Most people want to stay home. Most people don't want to go to the theater um, for a number of reasons. But this giving people the option is really the, the best middle ground. Uh, if people, you know, if you are busy or if you have kids and a family and it's just hard to, to get out to the theater this is a, a great uh, way to do that at the same time if you have a really big property things like dune or the next matrix movie i definitely want to see those in the theater mm -hmm. i'm in the same boat like i i i will want to go to the movie theater it's not just because, just because we do a movie podcast like i i truly do enjoy the experience i think people will too and you know what honestly for a very selfish reason i i think if <laughs> If we have movies that are available at streaming service, I think they'll shake out a lot of the crazies that are just going to spend the whole movie on their phone anyway or munching on popcorn way too loud. You have to worry about it, right? It's going to be pure. Cinema, cinema for the purists who want to be there. That's what it's going to be about. And I am personally 110% okay with that. So AMC, AMC's got to go. <laughs> I don't know. No, I also think AMC will renegotiate. They will slither their way out of this horrifying tragedy somehow. Somebody will buy them and keep the name. Like a company that big does not have that many assets and just shutter it all nationwide. There's no way. Mm -hmm. those, those, those uniforms, those name tags, those all have value. That's going somewhere. Somebody will buy it. <laughs> it's ripe fun. for the taking. That's right. It, it'll all work out. But you know what? Maybe, maybe that jerk CEO will learn a lesson or two along the way. Huh? Maybe, maybe that'll be good for him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, with that, we should probably move on to our first review. I'm excited to be taking the summary on this one. Please excuse the clumsy presentation. I'm on one screen today. I don't have the cool two-screen thing going, so if it's a little all over the place, you know, I'll be working it out. But uh, this, is, uh, the, this is our review for Hulu's Happiest Season. I just woke up thinking about going home with you and got very excited about Christmas. I get to go meet the people that made my favorite person. I'll always take December away over summer. Abby, you and Harper have a perfect relationship. She is my person, and I really want everyone to know that. I want to marry her. What are you doing on your phone? 
I left a gentleman alone in my apartment, so I'm tracking him to make sure he leaves. You're tracking him? Yeah, I track everybody. If the NSA can do it, so can I. So, Happiest Season is the story of Abby and Harper, a wonderful queer couple living in what I think is Pittsburgh. Uh, maybe Pennsylvania, probably not New York. Uh, Abby and Harper are going home for the holidays, and much, much unbeknownst to Abby, uh, Harper has been dishonest, and her parents not only don't know that she's in a relationship, they don't know that she's gay. So for five days, Abby, played by Kristen Stewart, has to essentially play straight, uh, while Harper, played by Mackenzie Davis, kind of, I don't know, eases her family into the situation. Hijinks ensue. It's it's like a it's it's like a hundred and forty two minute rom com, and it follows many of the same like hallmarks of the Hallmark Christmas film, right? Like it's it's very lightweight. It's easy. You got some laughs. You got some good acting. But at the same time, Happiest Season kind of has a wonderful little little something at its core because it's not just telling the same generic story uh, for Christmas. This one has much more to say and I'm excited to talk about what that is. Uh, the film is currently available on Hulu. Uh, the trailer is currently full screened on my screen so I can't actually see whether or not it looks good uh, for you guys at home but I'm just going to roll with it. Andy, what did you think of Happiest Season? Um. So when this first started, I was like, what did Zach make me watch? Right. Uh, it, it starts off as a, it, it, it starts off like a very simple sounding Hallmark movie slash Lifetime Christmas movie. Uh, you've seen the plots a million times before. Really cheesy music. Remind me of the Princess Switch yep. with Vanessa. Yes. Hutchins. Yes. Princess uh, Switch. Christmas so, with the So Prince. I was yeah, like, I, I, it, it's like one of those movies, but with a much better cast. And so I was really skeptical through the uh, the whole kind of first act uh, because there's a lot of, like you said, cliches and kind of ridiculous situations that aren't really as funny as, as they're supposed to be. It does find its way about halfway through and it starts to really explore this relationship uh, between our, our two main characters and, you know, kind of covers some other themes about kind of hiding who you are. Uh, there's, there's a lot of characters in in the movie with that have secrets um and it, by the end i i enjoyed what, what it was seen but it took me a, a little bit to get into it yeah so i think the best place to start talking about this is probably our characters right and then we'll slide into actors we'll get into the look and the feel of it after that um our characters are like you said a little a little diverse at the same time a little one note and that's okay this is this is just over 90 minutes it is not supposed to be some two and a half hour epic like wonder woman 1984 it's just telling a small sincere story in, in a big way i think uh abby is played by Kristen stewart um <laughs> harper is played by Mackenzie davis who we last saw in terminator dark fate that's the name of it uh, it was the last Terminator film. She's like the big, big girl Terminator that's running around. Um, who's playing, I guess not against type for her, but in the last thing I saw her in against type here, uh, we have a supporting cast played by Mary Steenburgen. Aubrey Plaza is in this film. Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek is in this movie as their friend, John, which is how the two of them met. Um, actually a wonderful cast. Actually very well put together. Uh, Alison Brie is in this movie, is one of Harper's sisters. They're, they're all really tremendous. Um, I really enjoyed everybody in this movie. I think the dialogue is not super great. The beat-for-beat beat stuff, a lot of, like, the funny gags and stuff don't quite land. Yeah. Um, some of them do, some of them don't. Again, like, it's, it's, it's kind of a holiday rom-com. It's not supposed to be perfect by any means, but for what it's worth, like... 
I really enjoyed everybody acting in this. Everybody seemed to enjoy what they were doing. I think they had a lot of fun. Kristen Stewart kind of plays against type as this like romantic interest uh, for, for, for Harper. Um, but she's actually really tremendous. She, she's, uh, she's openly gay. Her parents uh, passed away, unfortunately, um, but she's not afraid <laughs> of who she is at all. Yeah. There's a whole gag about her being an orphan. <laughs> yes. There's a whole running so gag red- about her being an orphan. Um, and she's trying to play literally, I mean, literally play it straight uh, for Harper at the parents' house and try to act like, oh, I, I have a boyfriend and, and we're cool. Whereas Harper is like much more closeted. Uh, and Mackenzie Davis has a really interesting performance in this because she's trying to hide this from her family, but also be honest with uh, Abby, her, her longtime girlfriend. Um, and there's a really interesting story here about. Um, you know, be, being honest to yourself and being honest to the world, what that means. But as far as performances go, Andy, any hot takes? Well, the, the, I think the the relationship is really convincing um, between Kristen Stewart and M- Mackenzie Davis. Like I said, this it start the, when it first started. I was like, this is like a lifetime level movie, but with an all star cast. And and the cast is is great. There's a lot of people in here, which you had get like a holiday ensemble film is is pretty normal, but they're usually really bad. This is definitely better than the average one. Yeah. Um. And and real quick, uh, another side note. Um. Part of the reason I wanted to talk about this film is because it was trending on Hulu for like a week. It was like the number one film on there. And also because Aubrey Plaza ended up trending on Twitter for a couple days because of her performance in this film. Uh, She plays Harper's first girlfriend. She's back in their hometown, right, where they're visiting their family. Uh, She plays a character named Riley. Uh, And Aubrey Plaza is really tremendous in this role because she kind of... Kind of, kind of, kind of leans on the ear of Kristen Stewart a little bit and becomes the devil on her shoulder for their situation. Kristen Stewart's frustrated with the way uh, uh, Harper's been been treating her, and and she doesn't like that she feels suffocated in this house. And and Riley's kind of there to be like, hey, you know, you don't have to put up with this. Like you're your own person, you can be your own individual. And Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek is is really tremendous. Has a really fantastic monologue <laughs> at the end of this film about what it means to kind of be yourself and and accept who you are and, and tell it to the rest of the world whenever you're ready. Um. Really, really great work. Like all, all around, I, I was really pleased with the performances. But um, as far as the presentation goes, I've got a little bit of information about that. So this was originally supposed to be a theatrical feature. Um, mm-hmm. Hulu bought the rights to it. And then, of course, the way everything went, they decided, hey, you know what? We're just going to put it on our service. But the part of the reason this film stands out from so many like generic streaming rom-coms around the holidays is it feels much more theatrical. It's got great cinematography, um, a lot of really good color feels very Wes Anderson, very creamy kind of colors. Um, and it just, it's got a really solid set of shot blocking to it that like feels really good. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of, you know, generic holiday rom-coms that I keep talking around like the princess switch and, and Christmas Prince, um, which are all fun for their own reasons. Let me be clear. I'm not saying those are bad films, but they just feel a little bit faster, you know, like they have shorter production schedules. They, they, they shoot them, a lot of them in studio very quickly, like over the course of a couple of weeks, this feels like it took a lot more time and had a lot more sincerity to it. And I think that becomes, comes from director Clea Duvall, um, who has not directed a lot of features. This is, she's formally done a lot of acting. This is kind of one of her first big ones. Um, it really plays like you can tell there's a lot of sincerity and it's because this is an autobiographical story for her. Miss Duvall. She's, she's tremendous as a director. What'd you think, Andy? Um, I, I think the, um, oh, I just, I just lost my, my I'm sorry. I went, I went on like eight different points there. I was all over the place. Go ahead. So this is a romantic comedy. I, I feel like the comedy doesn't, isn't very strong. It's not as funny as it should be. There's a lot of 
gags that don't work. And this is one of the, one of the downfalls of seeing some watching it by yourself on streaming. If this were in a theater, the communal experience, it, a lot of the jokes wouldn't fall as flat uh, as as they do. But I, I didn't feel it was as funny as it was. Uh, kind of should have been and also yeah you mentioned the writing before a lot of the writing is is both really on the nose but then also like really ridiculous like yeah. uh you know if you're wa- watching right now there's this ice skating scene that that feels like that's like right out of a hallmark slash lifetime movie it's right. really unrealistic so uh and, and like i said the the whole narrative or, or the struggle about you know kind of being closeted to her parents is I just think not not handled with a whole lot of nuance. It it's very like it's everything's very on the nose. Mm-hmm. It's um yeah it's it's a little bit of little column A, little column B, like you said. Like I, I think the comedy you're right like doesn't quite land all the time. I think some of the more cringy stuff with the parents who are very like conservative and and obviously would not be very accepting of a of a of, of finding out their daughter is gay. Um, a lot of that stuff doesn't quite hit at the same time. Like Kristen Stewart plays against type and is great for some of these like straight, straight man shots. Um, no pun intended of, you know, the, the parents being like, Oh, I heard you're an orphan. And she's like, yeah, like totally. Um, a lot of that stuff actually works. I think Kristen Stewart's really, really, really good at that stuff. And I think, yeah, part of the reason the script can overcome in certain areas and other places it can't is because of just the acting. Like the, the characters are really sincere. Kristen Stewart and Dan Levy are gay um, publicly. Um, and, and I think they, they really embraced a big part of that in, in bringing that to this role. Um, and, and, and it shows Clay, Clay Duvall is also, is also gay. And like, there's, there's a really, really sincere amount of quality that comes from that i'm not saying these other films that this one's like don't have that they do but this one it just feels different in a way and i feel like the internet's noticed right there's a reason it was trending there's a reason people talking about it and it's worth talking about so i'm I'm glad we had the opportunity to watch it um as far as i don't know things like music goes i don't really have a lot of thoughts and kind of you know it works but ultimately it's supposed to be a, a pretty toothless rom-com that, that that actually has some bite to it and i think that's worth talking about any any other thoughts on this one yeah i just want to mention one thing about the uh you mentioned it was sold to to hulu uh in the article i was reading today in in the hollywood reporter you know it mentioned that that you know this can this film cannot come out in theaters right now uh it would lose it would only lose money and uh it's a christmas film you can't it's not like you can put it out in the summer it's a to quote the article you have to put it out when the lights are up Mm. And uh, and that, that's kind of how a lot of these releases or streaming or a theater or hybrid is are going to work. It's going to be a case by case basis. Something like th- this, it's great content for for Hulu. It's got big stars, uh, but it's it's a Christmas movie. You got to put it out at Christmas. Yeah, a hundred and ten percent. And you know, a lot of it, like it's it's patently obvious they didn't shoot this like at Christmas or anything. Um, that's something as I get older, I find is like more disillusioning about Christmas movies. And, like <laughs> almost none of them are actually made in December because they have to come out in December, right? They're filming this stuff in like March and July. Um, but it, you know, it works. It feels sincere. Like they did such a good job of set dressing this wonderful house they're in and kind of this town. Like it, it really feels like an important story. Clay Duvall said, this is autobiographical. This, this situation happened to her. Um, which is why she wanted to bring it out. And and I think if you're going to watch a rom-com around the holidays, if you're looking for a little bit of that like Hallmark cheese with your Christmas cheer, um, <laughs> I, I I really think you could do, I, I guess you could do worse. Yeah, because this this one approaches it in a way I haven't seen before that feels really tremendous. And, and it's worth talking about. So I'm glad we had the opportunity to do it. Andy, any other thoughts before recommendation? 
Uh, I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Happiest Season? Yeah, I think overall, yes. You know, it, it it's a harmless, fun holiday movie that's better than most holiday movies. Most, I mean, there's a lot of holiday trash that comes out, uh, so it's definitely better than most. It's not quite as funny as it should be. The writing isn't quite as sharp, but it is a great cl- cl- cast, and uh, they all do a really good job. And uh, like I said, but it took a while to get going, but by the end, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I actually really liked it. I, I it, it definitely is a little clumsy in the first act kind of getting there um at one point i got up to go to the bathroom and came back and christine was like oh man you miss you miss all this exposition so they're at the house and and harper's saying that she her parents don't know she's got i was like i've been gone for like a minute like oh my gosh um but it really comes around it, it really gets going like once the whole family gets together and you know things start to things start to pick up um it's it's worth it. I think it's worth your time. I really do. I, I enjoyed watching it. I don't think you need to be in any particular audience range to like it. It's like PG thirteen. It's pretty safe. There's not a lot of curse words or anything. Like it's good stuff. Happiest season. Uh, two thumbs up. Highly recommended. And with that, we should move on to some upcoming trailers. Normally, Andy and I talk about before the show who's going to talk about which trailer, and we totally didn't do that this week. So, Andy, how do you want to split these up? Uh, I'll take the first one. I'll take the next two, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, please, uh, take it away. Nobody. Uh, so this is a new uh, action drama starring uh, Bob Odenkirk, uh, Breaking Bad fame. He plays a father who we see at the beginning of the trailer. Um, their house is robbed, and, and he had a chance to uh, kind of knock out or, or fight the burglar and kind of chose to back off. Feels really dejected. Everyone's kind of, uh, you know, saying, sorry, sorry that happened. Sorry you're such a kind of weak, <laughs> weak man. Uh, then we see him on, on a bus and uh getting in a fight with some gangsters and turns out he's like a total badass and he's an ex-navy seal or something and he just kind of had to turn it on for for this moment and then but now he's on the gangsters uh hit list and there's people coming after him so he's it's kind of like he's john wick if john wick was kind of a a stay-at-home dad uh (laughs) kind of situation so it, it looks like an action comedy it looked really over the top uh, kind of action and it's cool to see bob odenkirk uh in this kind of role so i, I think this looks uh pretty cool and exciting uh what do you think you know i i i think it checks a lot of boxes for what i would normally think is cool and exciting it stars christopher lloyd in the supporting role as his father which you never see uh it's got the producer of john wick so it's going to have a lot of similar action and format obviously there's this feeling of you know, a guy who used to do a lot of bad stuff just kind of wants to be left alone and then trouble comes looking for him. So he's got to step up and, and get back into it. I think it's pretty good. I, I like Bob Odenkirk a lot, actually. I think he lands he, he lands very largely in this uh, group of comedy, traditional comedy actors and actresses who play against type and play something serious and it works because this doesn't look like it's intentionally supposed to be particularly funny at all. Um, you know, I think of Brian Cranston doing Malcolm in the Middle and then jumping to Breaking Bad. I think of Hugh Laurie doing uh, a bit of Fry and Laurie improv comedy and then jumping to House. Um, obviously, those are television series, but there's a lot of potential for comedies, comedy actors and actresses to step out and do something different. And this looks like that's what it'll be for Odenkirk. And I hope that's what it is. I, I'm not super into what's happening here, honestly. Like, I, I'm sure we'll probably end up watching it for the show. And for all I know, it's really enjoyable. But man, I, I really, um, I think I've seen one too many stories of tough guy 
trouble walks into tough guy and he has to he has to swing back you know like i i get it yeah, like, it doesn't it does it looks a little too stereotypical for me it looks like it just kind of follows the same formula but i'm excited to see odin kirk doing his thing i'm excited to see more john wick style action like the trailer looks strong for all i know i could be totally misreading this thing so i'm excited about nobody i hope other people are excited about it as well Next movie we need to talk about is Nomadland. Uh, this is a curious film. Uh, this one's been shot over the course of the year. It stars Frances McDormand as essentially a modern nomad. She's a, a widower uh, who follows... Uh, she's a widow. Uh-huh. Uh, she's a widow uh, whose husband passed away. She's retired, and she essentially travels the country, America, in a van. She lives out of it. She travels to different kind of, uh, I don't know, communities where people are camping out staying or v parks she isn't quite homeless she doesn't think in the trailer but um this is her life she just kind of travels and she doesn't really have a job and she just kind of goes to little towns and picks up picks up some work and then after she makes some money she hops back in the van and drives to the next town um it seems like her character might be running from something right or maybe she's running towards something, and I think that's kind of the point of this trailer to kind of give you a feeling of tone, but not really a feeling of what's going to happen. And I think it works. It looks like a lot of almost found footage. It looks like they're following around with their camera, and and she's going to these things and having these experiences. It looks very down to earth. It looks very raw. It looks very real. I think it's a probably an Oscar t- contender for sure. Um, Andy, what do you think of Nomadland? Uh, so this definitely looks like the independent film. <laughs> goers independent film yeah uh looks like very deep philosophical take on something or other life and the meaning of life uh we see francis mcdormand uh being a nomad working a bunch of uh kind of odd jobs and but finding family through other nomads uh like herself it looks like it's gonna be one of those things that it's you know it's not about what you do it's about the people around you these sort of things it i do not this doesn't look very interesting to me, but I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to ju- judge a film before I, I see it. Um, but it's it definitely um, looks interesting. No, I, I do think it's funny. You, you see the trailer for Nobody, and you're like, "That looks a like good stuff." And I'm like, "Ah, it looks okay." And we totally <laughs> go the opposite way on this, but that's what makes this show fun. The last trailer we need to talk about is a film called Some Kind of Heaven. This one's interesting. It's a documentary, and I found the trailer for this actually earlier today before we started the show, and I stuck it onto. Uh, the the outline and Andy didn't stop me. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, This is a documentary about a retirement community in Florida called the village. The village is arguably like America's greatest retirement community. This is a monstrously large community with multiple housing units and places for people to live. Everybody drives around in these modified golf carts. There's activities all the time of all varieties. There's huge swimming pools. There's a whole economy. They have banks. They have movie theaters. They have grocery stores inside of the village. It's an entirely self-contained retirement community for the widest of America's retirees to go spend the rest of their lives in bliss and luxury it's like retiree disneyland and what's interesting about some kind of heaven is it's not about the happiness people find there it's kind of the opposite it's about the loneliness and the isolation and how you can have all of these physical desires you can have everything you want right at your fingertips you can have a want for nothing but how that doesn't quite make you happy And it's fascinating to me. The film follows four individuals in the retirement community. I don't really know a whole lot else about it, 
but I'm man, it looks really sharp, really striking color palette, really striking presentation. It looks like some good stuff. Andy, what do you think of the trailer for some kind of heaven? I was really intrigued by it as well. At first, I couldn't tell if this was a documentary or a like film. A bit. Meant, yeah, right. Yeah, meant to look. It's yeah, it's really interesting, and it's nice to see the representation of of an older demographic here. Everyone here is a retiree, uh, but yeah, it's about kind of looking for for meaning in in the retirement age. And like you said, even though they have this great retirement community, a lot of them describe it as going back to college, uh, they still struggle in, in finding, well, what do we do it? Like I imagine in any community of that size, you're going to, you're going to find friends. You're also going to find people you don't get along with or situations. And there's, there's going to be clicks and there's going to be bullying. And, you know, even at, at this ripe old age and, you know, the, the trailer intrigues, you know, kind of hints at some sort of uh, criminal element uh, at play uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I'm actually, I'm pretty interested in this. Yeah, you're right on the money, actually. Just a bit a bit more about this before we move on to the Midnight Sky. Um, so the four individuals that follows are, I didn't quite catch their names, but this is just me doing some, some back-of-the-napkin IMDb research. Uh, a married couple, uh, one, one, one of which the husband has a newfound cocaine addiction because drugs are apparently easy to get. Uh, in this community and his wife who is like left behind like you know what are you doing and he's like just binging every day like hitting it uh one of the men it follows is a guy who doesn't actually live in the retirement community lives in a a mobile home outside of the retirement community and is basically cruising it every day hoping he can pick up a sugar mama who will pay for him to, to move in and he's slowly running out of funds while it's happening and the last one is a widow whose husband died like two months after they got there and is now far away from what was her home in in like maine or where they came from and is like trying to cope in this place where she has everything but none of it really makes her happy it sounds incredibly sad but it's a <laughs> it, i mean that's what's so cool about the setting like it's shot in this place where like you have everything you could ever want it's shangri-la for retirees um really interested to see this doc i i'm i'm really interested to see what comes out of this this is coming next year that's some kind of heaven. With that, we should move on to our final review. Andy, I'm excited to hear your hot take on this movie. Uh, please take it away. The Midnight Sky. That's either. It's a spaceship. Coming back from a planet that we hoped would be our future. it's too late so this is a new sci-fi apocalyptic drama from netflix uh, directed by george clooney and starring george clooney as well as felicity jones david oyelowo and damian bashir and uh, kyle chandler uh, our story opens in the arctic ice there has been some sort of uh in the not very not so distant future some sort of event uh, apocalyptic event it's not specifically said what it is it does look like it's some sort of nuclear thing. Earth basically, uh, everyone has about two to three weeks uh, before everyone <laughs> dies. Uh, there's radiation spreading all over the globe. We meet uh, George Clooney's character, Augustine Lofthouse, who is uh, a researcher and has been a researcher his whole life. Um, he, Everyone is evacuating the Arctic station to go be with their families uh, for those of these last kind of times. He decides to say, stay saying, you know, the, here is, is as good a place as any. He's very sullen. He's also sick. He has some sort of terminal illness. Termin yeah, terminal uh, cancer. 
uh, he uh, has to do these blood transfusions at, at every day. Um, and then in the, at the same time, there is a, a spaceship coming back from a, a, a moon near Jupiter that could inhabit, could inhabit life. Uh, these astronauts, they're headed back to Earth. They don't know that it's not habitable anymore. And so George Clooney is on a mission to try and contact them, and he has to get to another, a different uh, communications station that's far away in the ice uh, to communicate with them so that they don't come to Earth and all die. Uh, so that's <laughs> our setup. Uh, there's a lot going on in this film. There's some things that work. There's some things that don't. Uh, but that's what we're going to get into. So, Zach, what do you think? I, you know, I really like parts of this film. Um, as as a thirty thousand foot view, like a sci fi film that tells two like coinciding stories that kind of bounce off of and play play off one another is strong. I, I love this idea of a a kind of lone survivor having to suddenly overcome this huge obstacle he had no way planned for to try to, um, to tell, tell what is supposed to be earth's last remaining hope, turn around, go home. Like you, there's nothing here for you. You know, um, you don't and, have to and, go home, but you right, can't stay here. Right. Yeah. And, and simultaneously the story of this group of astronauts who've been gone for almost five years, who are about to find out, oh, we can't go back. There is nowhere for us. We're it, you know? Like, that's that's really intriguing, this idea of playing with mortality, what it means to be human, to to have a future and a vision for yourself, you know, um, to, to have family back home. Like, all of that is really, really intriguing. And I love the sound of it on paper. I think where it starts to, to hurt is just Clooney's execution. You know, Clooney's an actor first, he's director second. He's directed, I think, six films before this. So, like, George Clooney is not a bad director, but I think he's a great actor and a good director. And I think when you're approaching something of this scope, you might need a little bit more in the director's chair. There's some problems in editing, too, that I think probably could have been tightened up, but ultimately a lot of that falls on the director. I'm excited to talk about the more proper parts of this and what really does work. Uh, what's the best place to have that conversation, Andy? Uh, gosh. Well, well, the first thing I, I wanted to kind of say is that this, I think this is another example of Netflix spending a lot of money on a mediocre script. Like you have a good director and a great cast and kind of a, a mediocre story and plot line, which I think ultimately doesn't hurt. I feel like this is two to three films in one. And like I said, there's elements of each story that, that works. Also, a big plot point is that uh, a young girl is discovered in, in the Arctic um, station that, that George Clooney is in and that he has to kind of take care of this, this young girl uh, played right. by Kaolin Springall. It's quite the name. She's, she's definitely got a tough one. Yeah, and, and this kind of like unexpected father figure kind of role he has to he has to take on um, in the wake of like the whole world dying is is really something. On its face, this is a very bleak film. And that's, yes. that's, that's probably where a lot of my problems come from. It's just so hopeless. Like at, at the open of the film, they're like, the earth is dying. All of humanity is yeah. dead. Eight billion people gone. Here's the two people left. George Clooney and this little girl. Like, oh my God. And then, you know, oh, well, here's all these space station ships we had going out to space to try to find new life. All of them are toast except one with five people on it. It's just like, okay, so so the film opens on like there's seven people left in humanity. That's a lot, right? And and this is supposed to be a harrowing tale. There's got to be some danger, which means you and I and Andy, we all know going in. Not everybody's going to make it out of this thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So that number is going to dwindle. 
And and I'm not going to say that's what happens in this film. Like, I, I don't want to... I'm not going to spoil it for you. You, you. you go see it and you tell me yourself. It'll be on Netflix in a week. But... Um, it's just bleak. Like it's a it's a bleak movie on its face. But I think Clooney does a great job of playing the man on land. I really do. Yeah, you mentioned the, that the uh, about what works. The performances are very good. George Clooney is this old, gr- like grizzled grizzled, grizzled yeah. scientist who's never done any. Like he's not married. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a family. There's this whole kind of isolation. He's been all about his work and his research. And, you know, he's got these great lines at the beginning. You know, people are saying, oh, aren't you going to leave the station? And he said, why? Here is as good a place to die as anywhere else. Um, and and there's there's nowhere else for him to go. And there's also no one for him to, to be with. So he, he kind of does a great job, especially also as a as a terminally ill person who has to do a lot of physical work, you know, it, it's exhausting for him to do anything. And he kind of has to get to this other station. The space crew is also, we get good performances out of uh, David Oyelowo, Felicity Jones, uh, Damien Bashir. Like the, the, the cast is, is stellar and, and the, the uh, acting is, is top, top notch. I just don't think they're given a ton to work with. No, um, Clooney does a great job of making them feel as if they're in two completely different worlds because they are. One is a giant spaceship coming back from Jupiter. The other is like Antarctica, right? Or the North Pole. I'm not even really sure. Um, and and they, they really do feel like two very separate places. And, and that's fantastic. Like the world building here is good. The, the, the Antarctica is a whole lot of like big sweeping vistas and like, you know, big, big long shots of these wide frames of scenery. And that's good stuff. It also feels a little small, especially when it starts to get like tense. There's, there's a snowstorm in particular that feels particularly claustrophobic. Turns out, I thought that was shot in a studio. I did the research. They did actually go film that in a snowstorm. Clooney could only be outside for like 60 seconds before they had to put him inside and like warm him up so he wouldn't get freaking pneumonia. Um, so I appreciate the, I I appreciate the consistency that works. The set design of the ship is fantastic. It looks really cool and futuristic. And, and even on the ground, he's got this rifle that's like 3d printed and has this cool stuff on it. Like this feeling of, of earth in like 2047 or 49 or whenever it's supposed to take place. That all feels pretty good. And the isolation really sells. These people feel lonely. That's, that's an integral part of the film. And I think the actors have a lot of room to play in that space as these kind of lonely individuals who are very wayward or very lost and don't really know where they're headed. That stuff all works good where I think it starts to hurt is the direct presentation of the two tales because the movie is not quite split into a part one and part two, but the bulk of the action for each, each location on Antarctica and space is basically part one and part two. And that doesn't do a great job of interweaving these tales for a climactic finale. Right. So we have George Clooney on, on the ground as this uh, revered scientist. And we, we get a number of background of kind of flashbacks uh, of him kind of coming up and growing up and almost kind of having a family, but then not really. And this was actually something that I really enjoyed. They didn't, they didn't try to de-age George Clooney, especially because he's got this big beard and, and looks really pretty grizzled. Uh, they just used a, a younger actor, which kind of looks like him, and, but more importantly, which actually sounded like him. And, and I, it may have actually even been kind of kind of mixed with George Clooney's actual voice. But that, that was actually a really smart decision, which I, I think worked. Um, but then you're right. Like, that is one complete story. And then the, the space crew trying to survive the journey back, there's some action sequence in, in space, which are actually fantastic. These two stories, like you said, they don't intercut very much. They don't 
intermingle and de- and George Clooney doesn't help the crew as much as you're led to believe from from the uh from the trailer. It's really like there's two movies here and I would enjoy watching either one but together they don't really work. Yeah, and that's that's really a shame because that's kind of the whole point, right? Like it's supposed to be this kind of grand tale of like the resilience of the human spirit across earth and space and, and what we've traveled and, and, and what, how, how we'll pioneer a future for ourselves. Right. Um, but it just falls a little flat in the pleasant presentation. That's all. I, I mean, a lot of this stuff really works. It's, it's really not bad, especially for a streaming film, but Annie and I did both go see this in theaters um, as safely yeah. as possible. Of course, we're mentioning. Uh, uh, and this you said it so good uh, when we left. What did you say? This is a perfect example of like why mid-budget films are perfect for streaming. Or... Right. Yeah. Well, it's a perfect example of why people don't want to go to the theater. You don't want to go and see a mediocre film. You know, I, I spent $11 on a ticket, $6 on a drink and a bunch of crunch. And, you know, <laughs> when for something that I, I much rather would have watched at home, it, it does like the space scenes do look really good and that looks great on, on the big screen. But like I said, this is, I, I was upset for what I paid to see this. And so would, uh, would other people. Right. And, and I'm in the same boat. Like it just doesn't quite get over the mark for a theatrical picture. Um, but, uh, on streaming, I mean, I, I don't want to just jump to recommendations, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Any other thoughts on this for recommendations, Andy? Am I, am I jumping too far ahead? Um, I do want to mention uh, the music, but go go ahead. Well, yeah, like I said, the the two stories uh, they don't really work uh, together. The, those are the big things. Um, the acting's good. The, the effects are good. It reminded me of much better movies. That's what I, I was going to get to. It reminded me of Sunshine a lot, uh, filmed by Danny Boyle, which is an excellent. We got to save the world in space, film Interstellar as well as far as having the, the heart and you know that film's a lot about isolation and, and family and sacrifice uh as well so like i said i know it's a i know it's not going well when a movie just reminds me of better movies yeah no in a lot of ways it reminded me especially the space stuff reminded me of alfonso Cuarón's gravity which clooney was in like just a few years ago and he said in interviews he was inspired in a lot of the space work by what happened in that film by him you know kind of looking over alfonso's shoulder to see how he was doing it and that stuff works great like the cgi is good the world building is effective i I think a lot of that stuff is fine um but but ultimately i think the story on land is just a little thin and the story on on the ship is almost a little too thick and the film comes off feeling lopsided when it tries to intercut the two of them yeah, it, it does come together for something that, that's pretty inspirational. But I, I mean, I, I didn't quite feel that way. I just kind of walked away from the theater feeling like, man, that was awfully bleak. And that was a real downer. And walking into a movie theater that's half dead where nothing's open because nobody's there and walking out to an empty parking lot where my lone car is sitting like did not help the experience. I didn't walk away from this feeling like. And like that was that was really tremendous. And maybe you'll feel differently watching it at home on Netflix, watching it with family. But but in theaters, it didn't quite have the experience I think it was intended. The music is very good. Uh, Alexander Desplat or Desplat, Desplat did the music. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what he's done previous, but I've seen his name in films we've watched, so I know he's doing work. And this is another one, and it's pretty good. So, any other thoughts, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend The Midnight Sky? Save it for streaming. 
you know, if this were a normal normal year and it had come to to theaters, I would say skip the theatrical release. Uh, it's not worth uh, that price. However, it does look very good on the big screen. The space, the effects are really good. The, all the space stuff, space station stuff is really cool. It's a great cast. Um, the stuff on the the stuff on land is also very interesting with with George Clooney and the, the little girl he has to to look after. Ultimately, these are two disparate stories which don't really connect for me they they might for other people i know i've heard some people who were convinced by the by the kind of interweaving of the narratives um but for like i said save it for streaming yeah i'm in the same boat 100 percent. watch watch on netflix it'll be trending i mean when you open netflix i think it comes out either the 19th or the 23rd i want to say when you open netflix for like a week this is going to be the first thing that comes up it'll be in that top 10 bar i mean this they're going to push this big time and like it's good stuff like i i don't think it's bad i really don't it's it's uh just over two hours i want to say good maybe stand to be a little it's, bit shorter yeah, but it's, for what it's, it's a little long yeah for what it's worth watching at home i think is 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 fun there's some fun space action in there there's some fun george clooney acting he's very good in this movie very grizzled you know he's very passionate about the role obviously um, but skip the theaters. You're, you're not, you're not missing anything by going to the theater and paying 18 bucks to watch this movie. Um, so that, that's my hot take on the midnight sky. I wish it was more glowing, but it, I mean, this is such a great example of a film that like really does benefit from watching it at home. Like the streaming experience is better than going to the theater and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, well, like I said, theaters are gonna well, studios and theaters, I guess, are gonna have to step up their game. If like, if you want people to pay a premium to go out and leave their house, uh, it better be good. You know, I compare it to trying to get, convince people to go to an apartment store instead of, instead of buying online. Um, it's just easier. So the theatrical experience and the film have really got to be top notch to get people out, and this just wasn't it. Yep. So that's the Midnight Sky. Andy, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are actually taking the week off. It is Christmas week. Christmas is next Friday, but we will return the week after. We do have two big, big movies coming out on Christmas Day. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 uh, will be coming out on HBO Max, as well as Disney Pixar's Soul, both also on Disney Plus, also coming out on Christmas Day. So when we return in a couple of weeks, those will be the two big movies. And I'm excited because those are both really big features. Uh, it'll be fun to watch this at home, right? I don't, I don't think I'm planning on going seeing either in the theater. We'll see, but uh, for the most part, I'll, I'll probably be watching this locally. I will definitely watch Wonder Woman first at home, but I would like to see it in the theater probably at some point too. You know, yeah, I've seen all those ads, especially Cinemark. They're like big bumper in front of their in front of all their films. Um, is Wonder Woman eighty four, and it says like you should see this big film in a theater, and I think that's true. I, I think. Wonder Woman would definitely benefit from that experience. Probably Soul, too. I mean, it's a Pixar film, right? It's supposed to be good stuff, but a lot to see. If you enjoyed the show today, you can find us on Facebook where we stream our show live every Tuesday, except today because it's Wednesday and next week because we're off the holiday. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're on YouTube where we post archives of our show. Our podcast is found everywhere. Podcasts are normally found, of course. iTunes, Google the like uh and if you like what we're doing here you can write us you can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com you can check out our website offscriptfilmreview.com for clips interviews full episodes but the biggest thing you can do for us if you like what we're doing here is just subscribe 
Subscribe to the show so you can get new episodes every single week straight to your phone. Tell your friends about it. That would help a ton. And if you can swing it, leave us a rating and review. It helps us a ton. You have no idea. Just a couple of words. Let us know what you thought of the show. We would love to hear about it and what do you uh, what you're enjoying this year. We're looking forward to doing our top 10s of 2021 coming into January. So that'll be exciting. Keep an ear out for that. And um, man, what a strange year at the movies, but we're excited to get into more of it. So from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.